And the question this morning is, is, so how do you know when you are starting to fall in love with somebody? Um, this is good for young people to know. I mean, where do you go when you want to know, do I, am I really falling in love with somebody? Well, you go to Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Not one amen. Huh? <laughs> I hope you don't go to Oprah Winfrey, but uh, actually she has some signs that you may be falling in love with somebody. I want you to listen to some of these signs that Oprah has. Obviously, I don't agree with these signs, but these are some interesting signs. Um, you're falling in love with somebody when you want to share your world with them. Just want to share your world with them. Oh, I just want to share everything about me and everything, and I just want to share my world with them. You're, you're falling in, in, in love with somebody if they're always on your mind. Should we sing that song? You're always on my mind. Yeah. Maybe you're always on my mind. You know, and send that to them, and then you know, then, then you know you're falling. You're falling in love when your friends notice. Aren't friends so picky and so when they start to know? Ooh, I saw you talking to so and so. Oh, you were talking to so and so. You're in love. I can tell. Your friends start to notice. Uh, this is one. This is one. When you're freaking out about everything. And you may be falling in love. Did he write me? Did he call me? Did he, did he say anything? Was that him? Oh, my phone. That's got to be him. That's him. You know, and then, and then you're in love. You're falling in love with somebody. You're falling in love with somebody when even their quirks are attractive. Praise the Lord. I know he always moves his hand like this, but I love that. That is just so cute. Look, he just talks to me and he does this. And he is so cute. He's so, and his neck twist. He is just so, and he's quirky. He's just, he's just quirky guy. I just love him. I just love him so much. He's just a quirky. But here, here's what she says. Isn't this great? This is how you know for sure that you're falling in love, according to Oprah. Here it is. It just feels right. Isn't that something? Now, wouldn't that be great if I could just preach that? Husbands, love your wives as you do your cell phones. And, uh, <laughs> and all, all I got to do is say that. And, and that's how you know you're going to fall in love. Let me, let me give you a couple of biblical words. Let's get to the Bible. Forget about Oprah. Let's get to the Bible for a moment here. Let's talk about a couple of biblical words for love that are found in the, you know, philia or phileo, that word is there in the, in the Bible. And that's really kind of a brotherly love. That's an affectionate love. That's a friendship love. That's the Philadelphia love. That's, that's when you just, you know what? We get along. We're friends. We're, we hang out. We love each other. We got the same things. We all love the New York Giants. Amen? No. No. How many Giant fans today? Amen. We got two or three here gathering our name. We know God is with us. And so there we go. That's why I'm glad Joe is here. But that filial love, that love that just we're friends, we're, we're buddies. How about this word, eros? You know how many times this word is used in the New Testament? Take a guess. Zippo. That's this erotic love. This love that... That, that the world says is love because it's all based because it feels right. And it's based on attraction. You know, I told, I told my son Johnny, I said, it's tough to be eye candy. I've been doing it for 46 years. <laughs> Not one amen. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to pastor him through this. You know what I mean? 
I'm like, you know, you're a very handsome young man. I've been there, done that, you know what I mean? You grow up and then something happens to you. But, but anyway, yeah, and so, I mean, things like that. But this eros is what the world is about. And it's not even mentioned once in the New Testament. And yet everyone says, you know you're in love if you feel it, if it's right, if they're, if they're there, if you just meet, you got that connection between each other. I joke around, one of my brother-in-laws, it's kind of funny, I asked him how he met his wife. He was walking in Applebee's and she saw him and he saw her and they both were physically attracted. They said, all right, let's change numbers. That would never happen to me. I'm walking to Applebee's. Nobody's going to say, oh, look at him. Oh, I got to get his number. No, they're like, where are you sitting? I hope it's far away. But yet there is that attraction. Praise God, she got saved. She's doing right to it. It's a good marriage. But this eros is all around. This eros. Look at the next thing here. We have agape love. I think we got a radio coming through the speaker here. Yeah, I just got that one off there. It really is coming from <laughs> It was a love song. So. I was... <laughs> you want to dance, Brian? <laughs> I don't know how we got there. Wow, I'm telling you, this is going to be a fun one today. But look at this next word that's there. So there's philia or phileo, there's the eros, and then there's the agape love. And this is the self-sacrificing, looking for what is good in the other. This is the kind of love in the Bible that doesn't think of anything in return. Our love is so conditional. Our love is, I'll do the dishes... If you do this, I'll vacuum, honey, if you go out to eat with me. I'll do this, and it's all conditional. Agape love has no conditions at all. In fact, it doesn't even think about what the other person will do for them. It is self-sacrificing love. It is a love that wants the best for the object loved, even if it costs you. And so when we get there, he says, spirit-filled husbands, we're going to see here in a moment, love their wives. Look what he says in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives. Sounds basic, right? Sounds easy. It sounds, wow, piece of cake. I mean, love your wives. But the next phrase is what kills us. Husbands, love your wives. Look what it says. Just as Christ also loved the church. Not as Oprah Winfrey tells you to love your wives. Not as some of the world tells you to love your wives. The pattern for love is Jesus Christ himself. The just as means that we are the pattern of our lives after the very love that Christ has for his church, which is very interesting. If he just said, love your wives, we could, we could make up, wait, oh, I do love my wife. I, you know, I, I do this for my wife. I provide for my wife. I love, I love my wife. And we just name the things, but he doesn't just say that. He says, love your wives just as Christ 
also loved the church. So when we think of biblical love, we have to look at the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then we go from there. What does this love look like? How does it look in my practical life and how does it look for him? But look what it says here. He gave himself up for her. What did Jesus do for the church? He left glory. He was in glory. He came down and dwelt among sinful men. He died on the cross for us. Yes. Was buried and rose again. He's saying, I want you to pattern your love after Christ. Love the church. Have the same kind of love. How does it look? Well, let's look. Well, first of it, it's a sacrificing love. We see here in the sacrificial love may include a few things here. Look at this. It may include sacrificing your very schedule. Uh-oh. Some people say, you know, I love my wife. I'm just too busy to be around her. Well, you don't love her enough. Your schedule is too busy for your wife. Something is wrong. I remember counseling somebody who had a job that was causing him to be unfaithful to his wife. And I said to him, you know what you need to do? I'm not telling you that you have to do this, but you're probably going to have to switch jobs. See, sacrificial love will sacrifice their schedule. They will also help around the house. And here's what I thank God for. I got good in-laws that will help around the house. So amen. So when I need something fixed, I call my father-in-law. That's all I need to do there because I can't fix it. Although he left two holes in my wall. We won't go there. All right, let's go to the next one. <laughs> Saying no to some social and sporting commitments. I, I was amazed that one guy told me, you know what, I go hunting, and there's nothing wrong with going hunting. I go hunting every Thanksgiving, and it drives my wife nuts. I said, well, why do you do it? It drives her nuts. She hates it, but I go, because she doesn't understand. Before I married her, I go hunting on Thanksgiving, and after I married her, I go hunting on Thanksgiving. No, the moment you said I do, you sacrifice. Look at the next thing here. Crucifying the flesh to remain faithful to her. Sacrificial love means I'm going to crucify the flesh to remain faithful to her. There are times when the temptations are out there, when you want to be unfaithful and you got to crucify the flesh because sacrificial love crucifies the flesh. Look at this. Spirit-filled living, a word that isn't sacrificing love, but it's sanctifying love as well. Watch this in verse 26. He says this. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up, why did he do it? To make her holy, it says in the New Inspired Version, or it says here in the NASB, so that he might what? Sanctify her. Now don't miss this. That word there, if I could be technical here in a moment, it's in an aorist tense. It's a one-time action. Christ, when he died on the cross, and the moment somebody accepts Jesus Christ, they are sanctified and set apart before God. That's a one-time action. But we all know that we need this progressive sanctification in our lives. We need to keep on growing to be more like Jesus Christ. So here's what he's saying. I want you to pattern your love after Jesus Christ, the one that sacrificed himself and the one that seeks the good and wants the maturity and wants people to be more like Christ. So here's what he's saying. He's saying we are to live our lives to help them to grow in the likeness of Christ. 
Wow. I like Oprah better than this right now. I got to help her grow in the likeness of Christ. That's love. You say, what do I have to do that? Go Notice what the text says. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the what? The word. Interesting enough, it's not talking about the Logos word, the written word. It's talking about the spoken word of God. Jesus, when he looked at his disciples, he said to them, you are clean because I spoke the word to you. So what he is saying here is we have the word of God and the word of God is to cause that sanctification in the life of people. I cannot help her grow in Christ's likeness if I don't know the word. So what does it mean? It means I got to be in the word personally and be in the word a lot. Because let me just tell you something. They ask questions. Ellie now, my daughter, is asking questions. She is blowing me away with the Bible. 17 years old. She is at, I can't wait for her to get married so she can ask her husband. She is asking me all these kind of questions. I mean, tough ones. So, Dad, why are they sacrificing in the millennial kingdom? I'm like, oh, no. Let me get in the Bible. Dad, why are they? I mean, tough ones. But we need to be in the Word personally so that we're able to help them. We need to talk about the Word with her. We need to also walk with her through the pain and trials of this life. And we do that through the Word of God, helping her with the Word of God. And we gently rebuke her when she sins. We use the Word of God, not what we feel here. So here's what he's saying here. He's saying, I want you to love Christ, love, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And here's what happens. We live in this world and the world stains us. The world, the flesh gives us these wrinkles. We live in this world and we get beat up. But praise God for the word, the spoken word that brings us to repentance. The spoken word that helps us to walk with God. The spoken word that helps us to be more like Christ. And here's the good news about it. As we are stumbling through this world, there is a future for us. Notice what this passage says. One day in verse 27, he's going to present to himself the church in all her glory. Notice this here in verse 27. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Wait a minute. Right now we do have spots. We do have wrinkles. We do have, can I mention, such things. But you want to know something that's amazing? Christ still loves us. He loves his imperfect bride right now. He loves us. With all the stuff in our lives. With all the spots, the wrinkles, and I like this, and any such things in our lives. He still loves us. Isn't that amazing? And here's what he's saying here. If Christ is dedicated to an imperfect bride, we ought to be dedicated to our imperfect brides as well. And here's what he's saying. Here's what's the great thing about the good news here. One day, Christ is going to present us before the Father dressed in what? White robes. Look at this in Revelation 19. I love this verse. It says this, It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. 
So one day, and this is talking about when Christ comes back in the second coming, when Christ comes back, he's going to present his church to the Father as what? With no spots and with no wrinkles because we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's great. He says, here's what you ought to do. I want you to love her in a way where you're willing to sacrifice. I want you to love her in a way that you're willing to sanctify and help her to become my Christ. But he doesn't stop there. Notice what he says. And, and, and let me ask this question before we get on there. Here's a big one. Is my wife more like Christ because she is married to me or in spite of me? I can stop there. We can play a hymn and everyone come down to repentance right now. This is a tough question. But somebody says, you know what? I'm so glad she's more like Christ in spite of me. I don't have nothing to do with this. She could just be like Christ on her own. Oh, really? Look at the next verse. This is a self-giving love. So husbands, watch this word here. Look what it says. What does it say? Ought. It's not like our English word ought where we say, you know, you ought to do this. This ought to be your life. You ought to do it. This word ought in the Greek means this is a divine obligation before God. There's no getting out of this. There's no wiggle room out of here. There's no, well, you know, you ought to do This is what you have to do. And it's interesting. It's present tense. This is a continual thing we ought to do. Notice he doesn't say that you ought to lead your wives or rule your wives. Here's what it says here in verse 28. You ought to what? Love your wife. Agape. This is your divine obligation. This is, has nothing to do whether she's worth love or not. You love her. You ought to do it. Why? As what? As your own what? Bodies. Now let me just tell you something. People like to pamper their bodies. Right? We got all kinds of stores out there. Bed, Bath, and Beyond. Amen. I love that store. We got Bath and Body Works. Oh, I get the best bubble bath in there. You know, I just pamper your body. I, I even know people get their pedicures, their manicures. And these are men, by the way. Men. All right? I, I don't do that, but some men do to each his own. But anyway, you know what I mean? Like, where were you that day? I got my pedicure and my manicure. I, wow. I'm like, holy cow. Right? So there's some men that do that. But people love their bodies. Oh, they love them. And they just take care of their body. They get up in the morning. They dress them nice. They make sure the hair's all nice. This morning, now I made a mistake. I put my shirt on inside out. And I didn't know. Thank God for Audrey. You know what I mean? Audrey was like, uh, Pastor, I can see your tag. Your shirt's inside out today. You know what I mean? I'm like, what? It was. Yeah, I can't even tell with this white shirt. So you can tell how much I love my body. But here's what he's saying. Our bodies have needs. And we long for certain things. We long for fellowship. We long for intimacy. We long for companionship. We long for people to be around. So we long for those things in our bodies. And here's what he's saying. As you long for those things, you make sure your wife has those things. You love her as you love your own body. As you take care of your body and worry about your body and, and really care about all the things about the body, you make sure she has that stuff. Because he says this, he says, he who loves his own wife loves himself. Now look at this next phrase here. It's amazing. No one ever hated his own flesh. Well, that's, we look at that and we see, well, 
that's true, but some people do hate their own flesh, unfortunately. There are some people who don't take care of their bodies. There's some people who cut their bodies. There's some people who kill their bodies and commit suicide. There's some people who don't treat their bodies the way they ought to. But here's what he's saying. Really, a spiritual person, a spiritual head, no one ever hated his own flesh, but here's what he does with his body. He nourishes the body and cherishes the body. I love those two words. The word nourish there talks about bringing up into maturity. It's the same word that we're going to see here of a father, that what he does with his child, he nourishes his child. He helps the child come up and train up and educate the child. And look at the next thing. He cherishes it. There's a tenderness there. This is what's missing. I, I'm reminded of the husband in his truck. He's sitting there driving the truck. And the wife's all the way by the window on the other side of the truck. And she goes, honey, do you remember when we used to drive together and I was under your armpit and snuggled up with you and you used to tell me how much you love me and care about me and all that? And he looks at her and goes, yep, I remember that. I haven't moved, you have. <laughs> or the husband that looked at his wife and said, she goes, honey, you never tell me you love me. He goes, well, when I change my mind, I will. <laughs> There's no tenderness. They're not cherishing what they have. They, they, they take it for granted. They, they use and abuse it. And he's saying here, you cherish her. And, 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 here, and here's where it's, it's, it's amazing. They're all different. And so, and, and they change. Amen. Right? And so, then not only, so one day you think you know how to cherish, the next day you don't know how to cherish because that's not how you cherish it. She doesn't like that anymore. So I'm, I get all excited, you know. She likes this kind of food, so I bring it to her, and she's like, "Honey, I don't eat that anymore." Oh man! So then I, you know, I mean, I like, I'll cherish it this way. No, she doesn't. Like, she changes, so I got to learn how to cherish. But you nourish and cherish and say, "How can I cherish? How can I have that tenderness inside?" Look at this. What it says here: uh, the the, uh, the five love languages by Gary Chapman. There's different things that we can do. The physical touch. People say, "Well, I'm great at that." Words of affirmation. Different words. Gifts. Some like gifts. Some like quality time. Some like acts of service. Now, Katie's love language isn't any of those. You ready for this? You want to know her love language? Food. Doesn't look like it, does it? She's skinny, but she loves when I bring her a plate of food. And she hates it when I eat her food. <laughs> I learned the hard way. When she left a little piece of her nice, beautiful strawberry shortcake or whatever she had left for dessert, and she went up to go somewhere, I don't know, she went to the bathroom, she came back, it was gone. She goes, oh. My food. What did you do? Well, I figured you weren't going to eat it. I chomped it. No. No, she was upset. I learned early in our marriage, you don't touch her food. You don't mess with her food. She will mess you up. She seems sweet. Touch her food. Watch her. But one of the most tender things I could do as a husband, and I fail at this a lot, but one of the most tender things I could do as a husband is bring her a meal or something when I'm out or bring her something. She loves that. I love it when people bring me food. 
Amen? Italian food. Don't bring me fish. All right? Fish, I'm going to throw right out the window. But Italian food, I like. She loves it. And so he talks about nourishing and cherishing. This is a self-giving love. This is nurturing her. Why? Because we're members of his body. Christ takes care of us. Christ nurtures us. Christ cherishes us. Isn't that amazing? He cherishes us. He takes care of us. He knows our needs. He gives us these wonderful spiritual blessings, but he also even meets our temporal needs as well. He loves us. Why? Because we're part of his body. And so now he's going to bring it into the marriage relationship and he's going to say this. Here it is. Here's the blueprint of marriage right here in verse 31. Here's what it's all about. This is the steadfast love. Here it is four times in the Bible. It's mentioned before the curse and then three times after the curse. Here it is. Here's the blueprint. Here's what it's all about. I always go back to this verse. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. Now, what does this mean? Look at this. It's very... So here's the blueprint. It's right there. First of all, there's a change of priorities. A man shall leave his mother and his father. What does that mean? You got to move 10,000 miles away? No. It means emotionally, economically. It means that she is the priority of our lives. In other words, it means this. If my in-laws say something and my wife wants something else, my wife wins. That's hard, especially when they're close. Or mamas, I got an Italian mama. She's far away, but she likes to put her two cents in and everything. And she likes to say, Jeremy, you have to do this, Jeremy. And if you don't do this, Jeremy, you're in big trouble, Jeremy. And you got to do this, Jeremy. And I'm like, mom, but Katie doesn't. Uh, Jeremy, listen to your mother. The moment I said I do, Katie wins. Yes. And it happened early in our marriage when we took little baby Ellie, she was three months old, to Argentina to visit. And my stepfather was livid. He said, you're going to bring a little baby girl to Argentina where she can get sick and something happened to her? What's wrong with you? You're going to do that? And I'm like, yeah, we are going to do that. There's a change in priority. Here's what happens in a lot of marriages. They get married, but mommy and daddy still rule. And it's wrong. And the husband is scared to do something because if he does something, mommy and daddy may get mad and they may not talk to us or they may even cut us off economically. Well, that should have been cut off the moment we said, I do. There's a change of priorities there. She becomes number one in the life. Other than God. Notice this next thing. There's a commitment to persevere. We shall be joined to his wife. There's a perseverance here. There's a continual joining. This is a glue word. This is a sticking word. This is a word even when as they get older, they change. Some age like fine wine. Some don't. That's why I like to scare some of the people who like my kids because I say, look how cute they are now. Watch what they're going to grow up to be. <laughs> and they're like, maybe I shouldn't date them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 40 years is waiting for me for that. 
It doesn't matter. If they're in bifocals, it doesn't matter if they're 50 pounds or 500 pounds. It doesn't matter. We are committed to persevere. It's a commitment shall be joined to his wife. And then notice the thing right here. There's a cooperation of possessions. The two shall be what? One flesh. I love this part. I see all these marriages now, they get this pre-nup, this stuff that before they get married, like, oh, if anything happens to us, you're not going to touch my house, you're not going to touch my bank account, you're not going to touch it. Let me just tell you something. In God's eyes, the moment we say I do, we're all one flesh, we're one flesh, me and her. Now everything she owns is mine and everything I own is hers. To my body. That's why I tell people, I'm not heavy, she is. This is her body, not mine. <laughs> it's hers. <laughs> All right, so give me another pizza. <laughs> but isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing in marriages how they get together and all of a sudden they say, oh, this is my car, this is mine, I got my bank account, her bank account, I got this, I got go. Oh, don't touch that, that's my Xbox. Don't, you don't need her. Oh, that's my truck. She will never drive my truck. That is my, no it isn't. It's our truck. It's our kids. It's our money. It's all one. Even to the worries, to the fears, to everything in our lives, we share. We share the same last name, the same food, the same house, the same kids. We share everything together. It's a cooperation of possessions. The moment we say, this is the blueprint. This is what God said before the fall and after the fall. That a man shall leave his, his father and mother. Sheep shall become the priority. That they should persevere. They're joined together. No matter what. They're joined together. And there's this cooperation of possession. They become one flesh. You want to say, why is this so important? Paul's going to tell us in verse 32. He says, this mystery is great. You know why? I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. You know, I never understood this. Until I was reading this and studying it out more. What is Paul talking about in verse 32? Here's what he's saying. You want to know something that's amazing? You want to know why I love the church? Let me tell you why I love the church. I love the church because God brings people from all different backgrounds. With all different kinds of patterns of sin. With all different kinds of things. And they get saved. And all of a sudden they're together in the same building worshiping God because they have one goal now, one desire, they want to please the Lord. That's amazing to me. It's amazing how different we are, and yet we are one before God and we serve the same God. That blows, that's why I love the church. You know why I love marriage? Because it's a picture of how God can bring two people from different backgrounds with different sin patterns and bring them together to be one flesh and to have one goal, to love Christ. That's a great thing. And what he's saying is this. As the marriage functions in a way that brings honor and glory to God, we are reflecting the love and submission of the church to the world. This is amazing. In fact, God in his great plan, and I don't know why in his great plan, because marriage is temporal. We're not married forever. The moment we die, we're not married in heaven. Katie's not my wife in heaven. We're not going to be walking hand in hand, floating in the clouds together, rooting for the New York Knicks. We're finally going to win then. You know, we're not going to be doing that. 
There is no marriage in heaven. I hope she recognizes, I hope she says, well, I hope she acknowledges me, but maybe she won't. And there's no sin in heaven, so I won't be mad about it. But for some reason, he has chosen this marriage thing here on this earth to reflect the relationship of Christ and his church. And he shows in his whole plan how he could bring these different people together. He brings Jew and Gentile and all kinds of people into the same building to worship God. He does that as he brings two people together with different backgrounds, different sin patterns, and he makes them one flesh. You say, so what should we do? <laughs> right here in verse 33, here it is. Each individual among you also to love his own wife. And here's what the wife needs to do. Ah, oh, you thought I wasn't going to pick on you today, huh? She had to see that she does what to her husband? I can't count how many people I've talked to where their wives would say things like this. I can't stomach him. He makes me sick to my stomach. He bothers me. I don't even like the way he talks. The way they talk about him or to him. Hey, idiot, give me something to eat. I've seen some things. I'm like, wow. I'm like, holy cow. Or the way they talk about him. Can you believe I'm married to that? I've, I've heard... I've heard so much disrespectful thing. You know what happens when a wife does that to a husband? Starts to belittle him and, and tell, oh yeah, he doesn't do that. And it just belittles him. Make, she diminishes his ability to lead her and love her. That's why respect is so important. This is a hard attitude. This is, this is an attitude of not just saying, oh, I love him or I like. This is an attitude of the heart saying, I am going to talk to him in a way that brings honor and respect to God. And I am going to talk about him in a way that brings honor and respect to God. This week was a tough week. Let me tell you. September 10th would have been my father's 77th birthday. And always when his birthday comes along, I'm, I'm discouraged. I, I miss him. And so I write some of my good friends that are like father figures to me. And I wrote one of my good friends in Iowa who's like a father figure to me. And I said, so how are you doing? And he sent me a letter through a text. He's been married for over 40 years. I don't even know if he got to 50 years. And his wife just filed for divorce. We saw it coming, but we still didn't want it to come. Right? I look at them, they were some of my heroes. He's the one that introduced me to my wife. But you look at their marriage and you see two key ingredients missing, love and respect. Yes. There is no respect there for him. No matter what he did, it was wrong. And when he tried to change things, he just couldn't do it. And the way she talked to him and about him was sickening. And they ended up, now she's filing for divorce. Close to 50 years together. No marriage is, is safe without the Spirit of God helping us. 
And when we take these things and we look at these things and we say, ah, that's so nice. I got to love her and she's got to respect me. And all of a sudden, then we start to focus on the other person. Hey, wait a minute. Remember what Pastor said? You need to respect me. You've missed it. We need to look in the mirror. And we need to say, God, am I sacrificing maybe even the little things for her or am I letting the busyness of my life get in the way of being the husband I ought to be? Or, or Lord, am I helping her to be spiritual or am I just letting her f figure it out on her own? I've missed it. Or as the wife, you say to yourself, Lord, my attitude towards him, look at the way I'm talking to him. Look at the way I talk about him. Something needs to change. Because the world is watching us. And the great mystery is how God brings two sinners together and causes them to, to love one another and love Him. We're reflecting what the church is all about. In the moment we write that letter, it's interesting, in that letter it says this, we want this to be amicable. It says in the letter that now you're going to go from being each other's spouse to being single people. How that destroys the picture of the church and what we're about. Nevertheless, each individual is to love his wife even as himself and the wife is to see it that she does what? Respects her husband. Here's what it all comes down to. But we realize we cannot do this without being filled with the Spirit of God. That's why we're failing. Because we're going to Oprah to find out how it's happening. Or we're looking at our neighbors. What a great marriage they have. When we need to be looking at Jesus Christ. There's no one who loves us like he does. He gave it all up for us. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, you can grab the kids if you don't mind, Steve. I want us, I want us to think about this love that Christ has for us as we're going to have communion here right now. I think I left mine over there. Thank you.